Tonight, of course, we're going to continue on in our, our study of the book of uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, Amen. basically just looking at uh, the gates that are within the walls of Nehemiah, uh, in the walls of Jerusalem, sorry, and Nehemiah didn't have any gates, <laughs> but he was there to repair them, he was there to, to supervise that project, and, um, and so we've covered uh, several gates already, I guess I should have maybe counted them. Uh, but I, all I know is we got two left, amen? So we got two gates left to go. Uh, our final one is the gate of Mifkad, uh, or it's a, basically the inspection gate. And so that'll be quite interesting. But this one today we're going to look at is the eastern gate, the eastern gate. And there's some interesting things about this. Um, in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse number 29, it says, After them Zadok, the son of Immer, over against his house, after him repaired also Shemiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate. The east gate. Now the east gate was a very important gate. It was only one of two gates on the whole east side of Jerusalem. And it's, on, it's directly in front of the temple. So the temple we know is facing east because that's the way they always directed it. And in front of that, uh, the, the temple and the court around the temple is a door uh, that is golden and that's a door to the temple courtyard. And in front of that, that door is a, what we would call the eastern gate. And that's a very important gate. I just want to show you a couple of pictures here. I don't know if you can get this, or maybe, Ben, you can pull that up. Did I, get, did I actually send you these? Did you get it? Okay, sounds good. And so um, this is really just a, just a picture I found uh, of the eastern gate directly in front of the temple. Of course, we know the temple's not there today. Uh, so this is a, uh, a model of that. And so we know that that temple is no longer there. And what is there is a mosque. And so that's quite interesting. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, so uh, historically, this gate was the first gate that was opened every morning at the first light. So the first light came up, they would open up the east gate. And so that has a lot to do with what we're, what we're talking about today. Uh, it faces the Mount of Olives, and so right across from that gate, uh, there's the Kidron Valley. Remember, we looked at that. I'll maybe pull up that map of all the gates that we had there, Ben. I don't know if you have that there. Yeah, there we go. And so you can see on each side of the bottom there is the Kidron Valley, and the Kidron Valley actually runs on each side of the walls of the city. Remember, on the other side, there was Gehenna. That was the, the garbage dump, and that's the fire that did not stop burning. It was just a constant burning of garbage in that, in, right next to the dung gate. On this side, there was a valley, and on the other side of that valley was what's called the Mount of Olives. And so I'm going to show you a picture. Uh, this is kind of a far picture. I'm not a great photographer, but I was there once. The second picture there, Ben, for some reason I'm not able to control anything here. All right, and so this picture, I don't know if you can see the mosque on the, on the side there. And so they built that there. They've actually made a rule now that we, they cannot do any construction in that area. So even if they wanted to open up that eastern gate, it's not possible to open it up. It's illegal, according to the Muslims that are, that are in control over there. And so, but an interesting thing is, outside of that eastern gate, there's a Kidron Valley, and then immediately what you see is graveyards. And so it's interesting that the Muslims actually instituted those graveyards there because what they believed was, is that Elijah, you know the Bible says that Elijah shall go before him. Elijah, being a priest of a certain family line, wasn't able to enter into cemeteries. 
And so what they did is they put cemeteries there so Elijah wouldn't be able to come in the eastern gate. But that's not true because ultimately, according to tradition and whatever laws that they come up with, you don't see it in scripture necessarily, but you, you, you see that they can enter into cemeteries, but they've got to follow certain purification laws. And so they're, they're doing anything they can to stop the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so the eastern gate, of course, the one you see there, that's not the one that was there when Jesus was, was alive. Because if you know anything about Israel and these civilizations, what happens is they get covered up. And uh, in fact, the temple is 30 feet underneath all that earth there. And they're just now, they're excavating all these walls and stuff from the past. And so the gate, the eastern gate is actually below that one about 30 feet. And so that's where Jesus would have gone in on, all right? But now they've just kind of rebuilt that, that eastern gate. And I just want to point this out. In 1540, there's a couple of times they, they sealed it up. But in 1540, uh, Solomon the Magnificent, the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire, as they conquered Jerusalem, they sealed up that gate. And the, it was said that they sealed it up because uh, he wanted to keep the Messiah from entering into Jerusalem. Because according to scripture, that's where he was coming in, you see. And so they put the graveyard there, they put the ceiling there. They think, oh, this is going to stop Jesus, you know. It's not going to stop him, amen. And so vision in Ezekiel, I'm going to look at this a little bit, sees the glory of the Lord leaving the temple by the way of the east gate. And so we know Israel, because of their idolatry, uh, even the book of Revelation calls uh, Jerusalem spiritually Sodom. And what's the other word? Um, not Gomorrah. Egypt. Sodom and Egypt. And so God himself called Jerusalem Sodom and Egypt. And so what took place is Ezekiel gets his vision during the time of the, the captivity of Babylon and shows the glory of the Lord leaving the temple through that eastern gate. And I'll show this to you in Ezekiel 10, verse 18. Then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims, and the cherubims lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. When they went out, the wheels also were beside them, and everyone stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of God of Israel was over them above. So even the cherubims left with the glory of God. And so that's quite interesting. Um, in Ezekiel 11, verse 23, it says, And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. Now, what mount is that? That's the Mount of Olives. You know? And by the way, that's exactly where Jesus Christ is going to return one day. He's going to set his foot upon that mountain. It's going to cleave in two and create a great valley. And, and, it's, and it's interesting today. Uh, do you got the picture of the graveyards there, Ben? You want to pull that up? And so this is a picture I took over there of the graves that exist right on the slope of the Mount of Olives. And right now, people are paying thousands of dollars to be buried on the slope of the Mount of Olives because they believe that when Jesus Christ comes, they will be the first ones to be resurrected. That's the idea. And so it's quite interesting. So people are paying a lot of money just to be buried inside of these cemeteries. Now, we know that's not true. It doesn't matter where you're on the earth, you're going to be caught up especially the church, amen, but they don't understand all of that. And so, Ezekiel 10, 18, then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims. Uh, did I already read that, didn't I? Yes, I did. Okay, so Ezekiel later details the glory re-entering the temple through the eastern gate. 
in Ezekiel 43. So we're, we're way at the end now of the book of Ezekiel as he's received visions from heaven. Uh, we say way back in chapter 18, the glory of the Lord departs. But now way ahead in Ezekiel 43, when he's giving the instructions about the millennial temple. The millennial temple is a temple that the Lord will build. It's not going to be the one that the Antichrist is going to build at the time of the tribulation. He's going to make a covenant with Israel, and because of that, they're going to reconstruct the temple. That temple isn't worth even going to. That is not something we're even interested in because that's a rebel's temple. That's a temple that was built based upon a deal with the devil. Amen? And we know that ultimately the Lord will never step in that temple. In fact, he will destroy it, and he will sanctify that area, and then he will build the true millennial temple, and you get those instructions in the book of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel tells about that temple, really the whole dynamic of Jerusalem right now will really be the size of the temple in the millennial reign. And Jerusalem will be far greater than it is right now. It'll, it'll almost extend right to the coast. It's going to be a huge city that God's going to build there. It's a wonderful thing that we're going to behold, amen? Uh, Ezekiel 43 verse 1, it says, Afterward he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looketh toward the east, and behold, the glory of God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like a noise of many waters. We see that many times with Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, his voice sounds like the voice of a multitude, like the voice of many waters. Then it says, and his voice was like the voice of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. Amen. And it was according uh, to the appearance of the vision which I saw, even according to the vision that I saw when I came to destroy the city. And the visions were like the vision that I saw by the river Chapar, and, and I fell upon my face. So he's saying that these things are all tied together. From the first one that I saw at the beginning till now, it, this isn't detached. This is all a single story that the Lord is, is uh, revealing to him. And so uh, it says here, And the glory of the Lord came into the house, by the way of the gate, which prospect is toward the east. So the Spirit took me up and brought me to the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. Amen? So there you have the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's coming, how? Through the eastern gate. And so people know that. That's why when they conquered the city, we're going to seal up that gate. Like, big deal, man. You're going to put some rocks in the way. I mean, Jesus can't deal with that. He's going, to, he's going to show them before he enters in by splitting the mountain in two, saying, this is not a big deal for me. And he doesn't even have to go through the gate. He can just come over top if he needed to. Amen. But anyways, Ezekiel 46, verse 12, it says, Now when the prince shall prepare a voluntary burnt offering or peace offerings, voluntary unto the Lord, one shall then open him the gate that looketh toward the east. So what we have here is a picture of the, of the dynamic that's going to happen within the millennial reign where there's going to be a prince, and I believe that prince is going to be David. David is going to be the prince over Israel, and he's going to bring in the voluntary burnt offerings and peace offerings through that eastern gate uh, when they're going to do that because we know that there's one feast left to, uh, to observe during the millennial reign, and that's the Feast of the Tabernacles. Because at that point, that'll be the only one not fulfilled. The Day of Atonement will be fulfilled when, when the Israel gets right with God at the end of the tribulation. The Feast of the Trumpets will be fulfilled before the tribulation when the trumpet sounds. And it'll, they'll have trumpets throughout the tribulation time. Amen? And so, and then we have the uh, Day of Atonement. Then after that, the final feast of all the seven is the Feast of the Tabernacles. And that's going to be the one we'll observe throughout the thousand-year reign. And it'll only be completed when we see the city of God coming out of heaven 
and the Bible finally saying that now the Lord is among men. And that's been his goal right from day number one in the garden, walking with Adam. That's all that he ever wanted, just walked with his people. But you know what? That dirty, rotten sin got in the way. So he spent thousands of years dealing with sin and the rebellion of sin and the wickedness of sin, giving his own life to deal with that just so he could come back and say, you know what? I'm coming back to you and we're going to be together forever in the perfect age. Amen. What a wonderful story that is. I mean, that's a scripture. That's a story right there. (laughs) The story of the ages. Amen. And so... That, that prince is going to be there, and then thou shalt open the gate that looketh toward the east, and shall prepare his burnt offering and his peace offerings, as he did on the Sabbath day. Then he shall go forth, and after his going forth, one shall shut the gate. So basically, he's the only one using that gate, the prince, amen? Zechariah 14.4, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. Wow, that would just be phenomenal to see this. Uh, the geography change when Jesus Christ comes back to that area. Amen. But there we have it. First Thessalonians tells us in chapter 3, verse 12, it says, The Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end that he might establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So basically we're talking about this. It's one thing to look forward to Jesus Christ coming through that eastern gate. What a wonderful thing. It's something to preach about. It's something to rejoice about. But I'm going to tell you something. We're not there yet. And what he's saying is, we have to live, Christians, in the light of that return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're going to do that, we need to implement these things in our life. We need to love one another. We need to have love towards men. We need to establish our hearts unblameable in holiness. God wants us to purify our lives and be more and more like Christ as the days go by. So we're ready for when Jesus Christ comes again. Amen. Uh, we know, and I believe very strongly in the pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, folks, you can't read Revelation and believe in a mid-trib rapture. Because the first thing that happens there after the letter to the churches is where all these saints are standing before God and saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and redeemedest to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. Now the interesting thing is that book he's talking about is the book of seals. And you know what? Not one seal has opened yet. That means the tribulation has not begun. And yet we're already standing before the throne of God and we're saying to him and praising him and saying, you're the one worthy to open up this book. We're going to be there for that, that event. So the Antichrist will only be able to actually reveal himself when that first seal has been broken, amen? That's when the rider on the white horse comes with the the bow and no arrows, amen, on the platform of peace. And we see those four aspects of the rise of the Antichrist, the economic and the military and and so forth. And and death is the final one. And that death is the, the covenant that he makes with Israel, the covenant of death you read about in Isaiah. And God says how that he will null and void that covenant that they made with death when Jesus Christ comes again. Amen. And so praise God for that. Very exciting stuff. And I'm sorry I'm going so fast with all that, but you know, we're not talking about that tonight. Amen. (laughs) That just kind of comes out. All right. And so it's interesting. 
Jesus Christ is actually the, of the tribe of Judah. We know that. Uh, his, his lineage goes right back through the line of Judah. We know David was of the line of Judah. We know that Jesus Christ is of the lineage of David. And we know that Jesus Christ is, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, it says, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So he's the one. He's the one of the east. Amen. And so this is interesting. In Numbers 2, verse 1, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Every man of the children of Israel shall pitch by his own standard with the ensign of their father's house. Far off about the tabernacle of the congregation shall they pitch. On the east side toward the rising of the sun shall they of the standard of the camp of Judah pitch throughout their armies and Nashon and the son of Aminadab shall be captain of the children of Judah. Amen. So you know what we see there? We see that the tribe of Judah was given the position on the east side of the temple. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Because that's where Jesus belongs to, amen? And so way back in the Old Testament when they're giving instruction about how they were supposed to camp around the tabernacle, Judah always had the east side. And that's pretty interesting because the camp on the east side always moved first when an alarm sounded. In Numbers chapter 10, verse 5, it says, When you blow an alarm, then the camps that lie on the east parts shall go forward. Now that's just coincidence. No, when that trumpet sounds, they're the ones already moving. The other ones are still sitting, amen? And Jesus Christ is of that tribe of Judah, amen? And he's coming back through that eastern gate. And so the east will be the first movement at the time of the trumpet sound. And he's still camped in the east today, Jesus Christ, waiting for his father's trumpet to move out and claim his kingdom. And the Bible says in Matthew 24, 27, For as a lightning cometh out of the east and shineth unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So don't believe the Jehovah's Witnesses when they tell you, oh, well, that day, you know, he was supposed to come in person, but for some reason, he just came spiritually. Well, I'm sorry, if Jesus Christ came, all of us would know it, because it would be like lightning from the east to the west. And that's what he gave us. He gave us that admonition. He also said, in like manner, as you see him go up, he shall, return, he shall come again. He went, he went up in the clouds. He's coming back in the clouds. He went up uh, physically. He's coming back physically. He's not coming, you know, going up physically and coming back spiritually. In like manner, the Bible says. Amen. So we know that these guys are liars. They're false teachers. They're there, they're there with that message by the, by the instruction of their master, the devil, trying to send people to that place called hell, and we cannot stand for it. We've got to give the right message to people about what Jesus Christ has done and that Jesus Christ will return physically. And what happened there in the 1800s was a bunch of lies. And folks, don't feel bad about hurting feelings about that because we're not hating people, but we're sure hating the doctrines of devils, amen, that sends people to hell. And I don't care, folks. We've got to stand in the last days. We can't be all mamby-pamby and all tolerant of false doctrine these days. We've got to stand upon the truth and say, that is not right. And we can do it lovingly to people. And we can do it because we do love them. We have to say, sorry, but what you believe is total lies. It's completely against the scripture. And they'll come to you with Charles Russell's commentary and say, yes, but. I'll say, hey, that's not the word of God. This is the word of God. Amen. It doesn't matter how you do the hopscotch around the the scripture. The Bible always says the same thing over and over and over again. By the way, that's why they wrote their own version of the Bible. 
They didn't like the fact that it says, in the beginning was God, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They changed that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was a God. <laughs> the little article A they put in there. And there's no Greek text found on the face of this planet that ever has had that article A in there. But somehow, for some reason, theirs has to have that. And that's been found true even in court cases of plagiarism and court cases of deception where people are saying, hey, you're not, this is not according to the proper text. Amen? Amen. But who cares, right? As long as we're just along with the crowd. Folks, we've got to stand upon the truth of God's word. Amen? Amen. So we must be vigilantly waiting and watching for the Lord's return. Oh, I'll tell you something, a Christian that is not living in the light of Christ's return is a Christian that's not living right at all. You've got to be, that's got to be your motivator. I'll tell you, it's just like when you're at home as a child and your parent tells you, hey, when I get home, this better be cleaned up and that better be done. I mean, you're, you're taking this seriously because your mom and dad, they're coming home. They didn't give you a time when they're coming home. They'll say, well, it's around this time. Well, that's not a good enough answer. Tell me exactly what time you'll be home. Jesus says, I'm not telling you what time I'm going to be there, but it's imminent which means it's coming, and it's going to take you by surprise. So you better deal with the stuff that God's asked you to do. Amen? It's so important. We need to live in light of Christ's return. Psalm 130, verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Amen? Who are those people? Those are the watchmen. The watchmen are upon the, uh, uh, upon the wall and they're waiting for that first light. He says, they, they look very diligent up there. But he says, you know what? Even more than they're looking, I'm waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Oh my goodness, that ought to be our story as well. We cannot wake up one day and forget the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again and today may be that day. It's going to keep you right. It's going to keep you doing right, talking right, behaving right, thinking right, and it's going to keep you uh, changing in your heart to be what God wants you to be. Amen? The Bible says, He that hath his hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Amen? And so we need to watch. This means have it, pay attention to close observation, to guard, to have vigilance for keeping and protecting against danger, amen? Because there is danger coming, you know, and we got to be careful. There's all kinds of things, folks, that we're responsible for, and if we drop the ball, it's not going to be an easy thing to look into the eyes of the Savior. It really will not. The Bible says here um, in 2 Peter 3, 10, you know, many mock the possibility of Christ's return. They mock that. You know, even Christians today, they don't want to talk about it. It sounds a little bit far-fetched. You know, I remember him talking to the mayor, and we were having a meeting about our building and so forth, and he was discouraged. He was discouraged about, about all the things going on, and we were talking about the, the, the things in the, uh, the libraries. I was saying, hey, is there anything we could do to stop this stuff, this, uh, this, this trans stuff and so forth? And he just says, you know, that really has nothing to do with the government. That's all just a private uh, board that the library has, and, of course, they're funded through through the city and so forth. But, you know, and he just says, yeah, he says, uh, and he, he just says, you know, I'm probably not going to come up for next election. He says, I'm just tired. And I says, well, don't lose heart. He says, Jesus Christ is coming again. And he looks at me, you think so? I says, I know so. <laughs> I'm not afraid to talk to the mayor about the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, if somebody's going to tell him, I better tell him, amen. amen. Oh, folks, don't be scared of tell, believing in the coming of Christ. 
as real as his first coming is, is as real as his second coming is. Uh, but I'll tell you something, on his second coming, there is no more chances. That's the end of it. Amen. And so let's make sure we're doing right in the midst of all of this. Second Peter chapter 3, it says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by the way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which you were spoken before by the holy prophets and the command of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby, whereby the, the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Oh my goodness, what an awesome thing to think about. He's saying, hey, don't think that the Lord is slack here. It's not that he's, he, he's not coming back because he's missing the boat. He's missing the appointment. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. The reason why he's not coming back right now, today, and he didn't come back yesterday is because he's merciful. He said, uh, as it, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He says, the reason I didn't come back because there's still somebody else I want to save before I come back again. Because if I come back too soon, these people will not have an opportunity to receive Christ as their Savior. So he is, he, he is right on time, my friend. He knows exactly when that time is. You don't, I don't, but he does, amen. And so we need to just trust God in that. But scoffers say, where is the promise of his coming? Because they don't understand the mercy of God. They don't understand the long-suffering of God. They don't understand how God will even allow us as his people here suffer for generations and for, de and for centuries, waiting for souls to come to Christ. He will use us in our suffering to reach these people, amen? And so don't ever just say, oh, Lord, this is when you come back today. No, just say, Lord, come back when you know it's right. Because I want every person that's supposed to be saved, I want them to be saved. And if i got to suffer a little bit longer, then so be it. We'll wait for you. Amen? And we'll get ready and, and be ready for your coming. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6.13, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Amen? That's what's a call today. Not these mamby-pamby Christians that are crying about every little thing. Someone calls them a name in church, looks at them sideways, or you know, has some offense. Right away, they're, they're skipping out on church. They go home and cry, and like Ahab, sit on the bed and suck their thumb. We don't need Christians like that today. We need Christians that stand up and, and, and quit you like men and be strong. Amen? 
There are people that are going to say all kinds of stupid things to you, especially people that don't know better because they don't have the, this teaching yet. They're not strengthened yet. Or maybe you don't have the teaching and maybe you don't understand that sometimes hard things have to be done, even in the local church, to deal with sin and wickedness in the house of God. And maybe you don't understand that. But folks, don't be a quitter. Don't be a thumb sucker. Don't just quit on God. Folks, remember, Jesus Christ can come back tomorrow. Where do you want to be? You want to be in that lineup that quit on God? Or are you going to be in that lineup that stood strong and not going to quit on God? Amen? Think about that. That's living in light of Christ's return. You won't be a quitter then. You won't be one of these mamby-pamby people that just run off and do your own thing. Jesus could come back the moment after you make that decision to run away from God. Oh, Lord, help us never to be that way. You know, we need to stand strong for the Lord and be, be, be usable for him while he's here, even though everybody turns against us. Paul said that once. He says, all men have forsaken me. Oh, you think he'd go home and suck his thumb? He didn't do that. He kept on doing what he needed to do. Amen? When he was first saved, he went to Jerusalem because he knew he needed, to, he needed the, the, uh, the uh, verification or the authenticity of the apostles in his life. He knew he needed them to recognize who he was. And so he went in there with the help of, uh, uh, first, first just went in there, and they said, no way, man. <laughs> we don't trust you. You're, you're a Christian killer. I'll tell you, what, what would we do? Well, they don't love me. I'm just going to go and do my own thing. No, he didn't do that. You know what? He stood strong and says, you know what? I understand that. I understand that they're thinking this about me, but I'm not going to quit because I need to be a part of this Jerusalem church. God needs to have me there so I could be sent out and make a big difference for God's glory. Amen? Amen. So he didn't just go suck his thumb. Even though everybody just turned, nope, we don't want you. He understood. Amen? And you need to understand as well. Let's not be weak Christians because that is very weak we back out on God, you know, because our feelings are hurt. Let's not do that. Folks, if Jesus would come back one minute after your decisions, wouldn't you be ashamed looking in his eyes? Oh, I just quit on you a minute ago. It wouldn't matter if you quit on him 30 years ago. The, the effect would be the same. Wow. That's why we continue. We keep on keeping on. Amen? Till Jesus Christ comes again. First Thessalonians 5, verse 5, it says this. You're all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know what that helmet of salvation is? That's just simply, you know, I know I'm saved. And you know, I know I'm not going to experience the wrath of God. That's not coming anywhere near me. Because 2,000 years ago, that wrath was poured upon the Son of God himself. And guess what? I am in Christ. So basically, all that wrath that was poured upon him, that's already gone through me. It's done. My sin has been dealt with. It was put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? How, how can we say that we're going to go through wrath again? Oh, folks, you believe you can lose your salvation. I feel sorry for that false doctrine. It's not right. Our salvation is not from man. You can't dig it up down here. You can't produce anything good enough here to buy anything from God. It's got to become a gift from heaven. It's something that he gives you because he's right and we're wrong. 
And it's through the gospel, amen? And I know that's hard for some. And I know we get people in sometimes that come to church and they've come from different backgrounds. And I came from a background like that. And it's hard to hear because they, they've been taught different verses. And well, what about this verse and that verse? Because they've never been taught the context of scripture. They've never been taught the rightly dividing the word of truth, Amen. I, I don't believe there's a person here that has been here for our Sunday morning services in the book of Romans that can now say that somehow you can lose your salvation or somehow you're going to somehow maintain your salvation because Romans blows that right out of the water, amen? I hope you've gotten that far there. <laughs> That's been the purpose of it. I know it's very elementary and it's not you know, some of the deep things of the word of God, but it's important for the church. I want our church to be founded on the truth of knowing what our salvation is based on, amen? And once we have that, boy, we can go anywhere for God. But we got to get these things settled. The Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. There's your belief for salvation, there's your knowing I'm saved, and then there's another belief afterwards that will help you with every day of your life. And that's why many people that struggle with their knowing don't have a daily belief that they really are following God with all of their heart. Because they're constantly thinking about, am I doing right? Am I going to lose my salvation? I mean, my goodness, if I, was, if, if I could lose my salvation, I'm going to tell you something, I've lost it already. And if I've lost it, Hebrews chapter 6 tells me it's impossible for me to be renewed again unto repentance. That means if I lost it, I'm not getting it back. Because I would put Jesus to open shame. Because he would have to come back and fix what he messed up the first time he came to the cross. Wow. It's amazing that Hebrews 6 is the same verse that people use to teach you to lose your salvation. But you know what? It's, it's a security passage. <laughs> it really is. It's just rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen. The Bible says in, in uh, Psalm 118 verse 148. Mine eyes prevent the night watches that I may meditate in thy word. It was the shepherds that were watching at night that was blessed with a message from God to visit Christ the King. They were, they were wide awake. They weren't sleeping. They were vigilant. They were doing what they were supposed to do. And the angel of the Lord came to them. I'm going to talk to you boys here. Amen. I'm going to tell you, you want to be used of God, you better have your eyes wide open. We can't be these sleepers. Sleeping about life, sleeping about our purpose, sleeping about our future, sleeping about going to church, sleeping about reading our Bible, sleeping about praying, sleeping about all these kind of things. You want to be used by God. You want to be ready for the return of Christ. Folks, we've got to keep our eyes open. We're the children of the day, not of the night. We're not drunken as those in the night. I sure hope you're not. <laughs> Amen. Oh, there are those that will call you and, hey, we're going out for the evening. We're going to go grab some drinks and so forth and say, no, sir, I'm a child of the day. I don't go out in the night to find my fun. <laughs> I'm not going out to get drunk so we can stay up to two in the morning and, and you know, fall asleep puking or something. No, sir, my eyes are wide open. Be, be vigilant. The Bible says be sober. <laughs> For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Amen? Oh, we've got to be sober today. Yet today, more than ever, I've been seeing even Baptists starting to talk about alcohol. It's not such a bad thing and moderation and so forth. And some churches that you see, maybe not Baptists, but they brought alcohol into the church as a part of their fellowship. And I'm saying, what in the world is going on here? You need to get back to some real good Eastgate thinking here. And you won't be drunken in the night. <laughs> You'll be sober. Amen. 
You're touching that wicked alcohol. You better get that out of your hands. You better stop looking at it. Stop. The Bible says, look not on the cup when it turneth itself aright. Don't even give yourself to it. Don't even be fooled by the Christians that call themselves Christians that offer you the drink that is simply going to make you dumb and, 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 and drunken so you're not ready for the coming of Christ. Don't you do it. Say, no, sir, I'm a child of the day. My eyes are wide open. I'm not going to go to sleep because the devil's offering some fun. Amen? And by the way, I don't think it's much fun anyways. Most people you talk about don't even remember what they did. Amen? It's crazy. They were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. Keeping watch. Eyes wide open. Doing their job. Amen? Not drinking, not partying, not being stupid. But they had their eyes open. That, my friend, is an example for God's people today. And I know our, our time is done. And I, I'm up at point number one now. <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> so we won't be going there. You guys remember that, Ben? You remember that? Yeah. They know me very well. <laughs> Basically, I just want to tell you this. You just watch that your city is not going to become spoiled. You know, the Bible says this in Proverbs 25, verse 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that's broken down and without walls. We got people out there today, Christians, that are, that are bitter in their hearts. They're angry people. They can't control their temper. They can't control their emotions. They're emotionally led people. All, they gotta, all you got to do is just, just say something the wrong way and they blow like a volcano. My friend, that is no way a Christian ought to live. If you got anger like that, I'm sorry, you are sinning against God. There ought to be no anger in your life like that. I, I understand if someone comes and tries to take your child and run away with them, I'd be pretty angry too, and I'd probably knock that person out where you never wake up again. But I'll tell you something. That's a righteous anger. That's something that's a motivating me to, to help people and to save people. Many times Saul had the same thing in the Old Testament. Remember the first time he went to battle, the Spirit of the Lord came on him and he was angered. The Lord becomes angered as well. But you know what? Most of the time we're not angered because of things that are right. We're angered because of things that are hurting our pride. You know? How dare you tell me that? <laughs> that kind of anger is wicked. And folks, you've got, got to have rule over your own spirit. You've got to control your spirit. And there's a way to do that. There's a way in Scripture. To look, I, I encourage you to go back to my series on why am I angry and take in all of those. I had some, one person tell me, he says, I, I, I listened to all 30 of those messages. And he says, it felt like I got born again all over again. Because I'll tell you something. We think that it's okay to run around losing our temper. It's absolutely not. You are not ready for the coming of Christ. It's time to get your city under control. Amen. Too many bitter people, too many angry people, too many jealous people, too many people in the church that want position and this, that, or the other. you got to get your spirit right. This is not about that. This is about doing the work of God. If God calls you to pastor, I'll be the first one to move, move over and let you pastor. You know what I mean? But I'll tell you, right now, you are not. Right now, I am. And so I'm going to do this diligently until Jesus Christ comes again or until he takes me all the way out. He, may, he might be working on me a little at a time here. Amen. But I'll tell you something, and, and as long as that happens, I'm going to continue to lead it the way that God has told us in his word. And I'm going to make mistakes, and so don't always hold them against me. Put them in your gun so you can shoot back at me. People just can't wait for a mistake. You do that to anybody. 
Any little thing, you just, oh, let's use a bullet. Let's put it in the gun and wait for the time. We can shoot it back at them, make them look bad. And people do it all the time, my friend. They do it to you. They do it to me. You do it to each other. It's, it's ungodly and wicked and filthy. It's from the pit of hell. It's of the devil. No such thing of forbearance and forgiveness and so forth involved with that. Amen. You have to forbear me a little bit. I mean, I say a lot of words on a Sunday, amen? I mean, I just, blah, 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 blah. One of those words you may not like, amen? If you'd say that many words on a Sunday, guess what? I could probably pick on you too. Give me a little mercy here, a little bit of grace. I'm trying to do the best I can, amen? Watch the city walls that the enemy will not come and spoil all the work that you've accomplished. In 2 John, it says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. And I was thinking about this last week. You know, we're not talking just about cult members. We're not just talking about uh, false teachers and so forth. You know, you're talking to people every week that deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. You work with people that deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. You know, who's going to make up these armies of the Antichrist? Who's going to make up these people that are turning against God? Folks, just because they're not a, a false teacher and a cult leader doesn't mean you got to give yourself to them. I tell our young people, when you go to work, go to work and go home. You don't have to go to the barbecues that they have all the time. You are putting yourself into their territory. you got to bring them into yours. Invite them to church. Bring them into the house of God so they can be saved. Amen? But you can't save them by going into their their territory you don't go into the darkness to win people you stay in the light to win people amen hey folks you got young people and they're in their public school or something like that you don't let your kid just go to every birthday party that's out there but you know what when you have the opportunity you take those kids and you bring them into your house you you control that situation you you keep the walls around your home amen walls around your kids that's so vital for us today We've got to be careful that we, we don't just play games here because it's very easy for you to lose everything that you've gained because you're just not being watchful, not being smart about your life and the people you're involved with. And I'm not saying you just <coughs> cut everybody off from your life. You know, your coworkers, you've got to love them. You've got to treat them and respect them uh, every day that you're with them. But I'll tell you something, be careful when they draw you into their situation. If they're not saved, they're not ready for that. You're not ready for that. Bring them into yours. Bring them to church. Well, they wouldn't come. Well, then that kind of answers your question, doesn't it? That's somebody that God is not working on. So you got to keep praying for them, keep being an example. But please don't go into their darkness. Oh, so many times I've had to, you know, talk to young people and Especially those that had to go to, you know, to the public system and, and they, all their friends were public school students and so forth. And it was so difficult for them. And I had to encourage them because nobody did. Nobody told them how to do this. Nobody told them how to do this right and to keep yourself safe. And you had to have answers for that. Amen. And the principles of the scripture teach us that. You can just apply it across the board. Whether you're an adult on the job, whether you're in the school as a youth person, whatever it is. Be careful. There's a lot of people that don't believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And the Bible says that's the spirit of Antichrist. Be careful. Love them. Try to win them. But be careful that you don't get drawn in to their thinking, into their lifestyle. Amen.
such a dangerous thing. Anyways, it's 7 o'clock. Wow. Let me leave you this passage. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it <coughs> to obtain a corruptible crown. But we, an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. You know, your spirit <coughs> is the part of you that, that connects with God. And if you haven't been walking with God, you've got a sour spirit. If you've got a sweet spirit, that means you've been talking with God. You've been reading his word. You've been, been fed from heaven. That's the only way your spirit can become sweet from heaven. Amen? It's not just salvation. Everything. <laughs> Everything comes from heaven. There's nothing down here that's going to give you what you need. You can turn on all the music you want, all the lights, all the smoke shows, all the beats, all the drums. I'm sorry, nothing down here is going to bring your spirit what it needs. You need it from heaven itself. You need to talk to God. You need to be with God. You need to receive from God. That's the man that's got a spirit that's right. But I'll tell you something. You don't have your body under control. Your body's that first part of you that this world contacts. That's the way the devil works. He's always focusing on your body. He's always wanting you to take care of your body and to, and, and to spoil your body and to pamper your body and to do for your body what it feels like doing in your flesh and that corrupt part of your, your soul, amen? The apostle Paul says, you need to keep under your body and bring it into subjection. I always say there's three parts of man. There's spirit, soul, body. Master, steward, slave. Your body is your slave. You don't ever let it tell you what to do. <laughs> That's why sometimes, you, you, know, you know, some people it doesn't take very much to keep them out of church or keep them away from the things of God. You know, I don't feel very good today. You know, every now and then, and I understand sick people. I've been sick and I've had to miss because I'm in the hospital and so forth. But every now and then you can say, you know what? I'm going to let my body tell me what to do today. Because I've been, I've been energizing my spirit by walking with God. Yeah. See, my spirit is the master, not my body. <laughs> but too many people are allowing their body to call the shots in their life. <clears throat> and you've got to remember, if that's the case, then that's because the devil is putting pressure from the outside in. Don't let him run your life. Yet many Christians do. And it's just normal because everybody accepts it because the world says it's okay. I'm sorry, some fuddy-duddy preacher's got to stand up and say, you know what, this ain't right. <laughs> you know, liberal Christianity won't tell you that. They'll say, hey, embrace it, feel it, feel it, feel it. You know, you got to remember something. Your emotions are the first thing that is contacted after your body. So when the devil comes from the outside in, he goes through your body, and the first part of your soul that he touches is your emotions. And that's why you got to be very careful with music because music is emotional. And you know what? A high, a strong rhythm affects your body, and, and the, a certain uh, style of music will affect your emotions. And that's why the Bible says you're supposed to sing spiritual songs. It starts with the master. It starts with your mind. It starts with truth and doctrine. Amen? 
It's not music that's going to affect your body and cause it to, like a two-year-old, when you play rock music, they automatically dance. I never taught them to dance. They don't even know how to dance. But how is it that when I put this beat on, they just dance? Because the body automatically follows that music. And the world has that beat. They know what, you, what can get your body. The Apostle Paul says, bring that body into subjection. You just say, shut up, body. You're the slave around here. I'm the, I got the master. <laughs> He's telling me what to do today. And I understand, folks, I don't, when you don't come here with a you know, schnotty nose, and you know what schnotty is, right? <laughs> Maybe not here. You do. <laughs> you know, sneezing all over the place and coughing on people and getting them sick. I understand that. <clears throat> but many times that's not it. Many times, well, I've got a sore back. And, you know, sometimes you just got to go with a sore back. We had that one guy in Kenora one time. Uh, he's still today <coughs> as faithful as he can be. And he has scoliosis of the spine. His, his spine was so out of shape already. I don't know how many degrees already had already bent. And over the years, it's getting worse and worse. And on top of that, he had polio as a child. So all the after effects of polio are, 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 are just attacking his body. And his spine is totally out. I mean, he can't even sit without pain. He's in pain 24-7. Yeah, that man came to church. He was there every Sunday. He'd always say, Pastor, I'm praying for you. I'm saying, you're praying for me. <laughs> man. Oh, I tell you, I wish I could show you people like that. It would, just, it would make us feel ashamed for how we're not faithful to the things of God. And to this day, he still loves God. and He prays, and, and he's going to be faithful until Jesus comes. I just know it. He's on a meager salary. He barely gets anything through, through Health Canada for his disability. He can't even work. Just living on next to nothing. We as a church, we, we began to say, you know, we've got to take care of this guy. We can't just leave it up to chance here. And so we, we took an offer. We bought him a, a special mattress for his bed. Man, this guy, he's, he's probably holding his church together with his prayers. You know, he said to his body, you're the slave. And that slave was just rebelling every day. Every day, just rebelling against him. Yet his spirit was so strong, his walk with God and his prayer. He says, I'm not going to let you tell me what to do. And to be sure, there's going to be a time where he won't walk no more. But all I know is until that time, he'll do everything he can to be faithful to the things of God. Amen. Keep our bodies in subjection. Let's be ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's bow our heads. The eastern gate. Oh, they try to seal it up. They say, oh, we don't want him to come. Jesus says, I'm coming whether you like it or not. I'm going to build my temple. I'm going to rule this world. What a wonderful prospect. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. No more elections. No more disappointment in, rule, in, in governors. But ruling with righteousness, with a rod of iron. Oh, I hope you're happy to see that day. And we as his church, if we will do right for the time he comes, he says, I will give you a place in my kingdom. You'll rule with me. If you suffer with me, I will allow you to rule with me. Don't quit on God. Please don't quit on God. 
let's deal with the sin in our life. Let's go forward in, in holiness without blame to the best of your ability. Just keep doing that. Purify yourself. Keep your eyes open. Keep watching. Don't fall asleep. Don't let anybody ever give you something that's going to put you to sleep. Don't go places that put you to sleep.